So turn with me to, uh, to Acts, back to Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. The title of this morning's message is God Delivers Where He Pleases. God Delivers Where He Pleases. So in chapter 23, and we're going to start in verse 11. So we're going to back up and just take how it is that the Lord encouraged Paul and then go from there, because we go from that night when God encouraged Paul, Jesus encouraged Paul, and then from there the next day, these are the things that that transpire. So verse 11 says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Verse 12, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near." Oh, Heavenly Father, we see once again how it is that your enemies are plotting against your servant. Lord, may we be reminded of your sovereignty, Lord, that you are God and there is no one like you. Help us to understand, Lord, that what you will, the plans that you have, that which you have determined cannot be thwarted by anyone. And so, Father, may this serve as an example to us, Lord, of what you will for our lives, that we would follow you and spread the gospel. And we would do that day in and day out until we are home with you. I ask, Lord, that this would be an example that we would look to knowing that the schemes of the world will come to nothing one day. And Lord, even as we spoke, judgment will come. Lord, we are to, as your people, commit ourselves to blessing you and to being consistent, Lord, in spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. So we ask your blessing upon our time together in your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I've learned with God is that, me personally, you know, this is what, this is what Job said, but, but for me personally, as I continue, I think we've talked about this time and time again. Uh, we talked about it in men's study, and I know that this is a conversation that we have uh, now and then, is that as you grow in the Lord, as you experience different things, and we see his faithfulness, even what Ray shared this morning, that our faith grows as we get to know his word, and he is faithful. He provides, he protects, he keeps us, and our faith grows. And we know that no one can thwart his plans, not even ourselves. 
In Mark chapter 4, and we've mentioned this, I know it's come before us several times. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, we find the story of when Jesus told his disciples to come with him on the boat or in the boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they went with Jesus, but we know what happened. A great storm arose, and they were taking in water. Water was coming into the boat to the point to where it frightened them. It frightened them, and they, they cried out to Jesus, who was asleep in the, in the stern, in the back part of the boat, on his cushion. Remember that. They cried out to him. Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind, and spoke to the sea, commanding it to calm down, to be at peace, to be still. And by his spoken word, that was it, just his spoken word. Can you imagine going from storm to just looking like glass, just like that? The disciples, we know, were frightened at what they had experienced, what they saw Jesus do. And Jesus then rebuked them for being fearful instead of being faithful. Remember, Jesus told them, and this is what we all always ought to remember. This should be something that we hold really near to our hearts when we're frightened, when we're kind of at this place to where we look around us and we're crying out to the Lord. You know, at that moment when he, when he stills everything, when he calms everything down, by the way, oftentimes it's not like in the moment. Sometimes he allows us to go to the storm, but then he shows us, he demonstrates that he still got us to the other side, wherever that may be. Because Jesus told them, let us go to the other side. Let us go. He said, well, I'm going to make it to the other side, but you may not. You may perish. He didn't say that. He said, let us go to the other side. That should have been enough. Because when Jesus speaks of going somewhere, he will always deliver, come what may. For, for you and I, there are things that frighten us. There might have been moments this last year that we cried out just like these disciples. We were freaking out. Allow the Lord to speak to us, to remind us of the fact that for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. I, I, don't, I don't want to take it lightly, but at the same time, we need to put things in proper perspective as it pertains to the word of God. Because to be separated from the world in death is, is to be united in the glory of God. We need to put things in proper perspective. As C.H. Spurgeon said, and I remind you that this is what I quoted before, you know, he wasn't worried about the plagues that, uh, that he endured in his day. He said, sudden death is sudden glory. Let us... Just really think about that. Because God may not always calm the storm, but he will always deliver as he's spoken his word. And for us in our lives, he will deliver where and how he pleases. This morning we have the time when Paul was in Jerusalem and some Jews conspired to kill him. And they even made a vow to not eat food or drink water until this was accomplished. 
until they killed Paul. But remember, that's why I read verse 11. But remember, Jesus had come to Paul the night before to tell him that he would testify of Jesus in Rome just as he testified of him in Jerusalem. And we ought to always remember that God delivers where he pleases. And this is no different. This is an example of what is true for us today. Job 42.2 says, Job speaking to God, he says, I know that you can do all things. And no purpose of yours can be thwarted. At the same time, as Christians, we participate with the Lord by praying his will be done and acting on what we know to be true according to his word. So I was reminded of Paul asking for prayer. In Galatians chapter 6, turn with me there. This is... um, The Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesians, telling them to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. But after he goes through the whole armor of God, he comes to this place in verse 18, where he's asking them. He's telling them, number one, we ought to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And he says, well, to that end, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So we are participants with the Lord. He wants to hear from us. Supplicate, intercede on behalf of all the saints. And then he says, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. He's a prisoner in chains. He's he's locked up. And yet he's asking for boldness to preach the gospel. But he's asking for prayer. Because the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's very effective. It, It does things that nothing else can do. So God delivers where he pleases. Let us be encouraged and see how faithful God is to deliver when he says and how he says he will deliver. As God does with Paul, so he does with you and me today. Again, going back to verse 11, let's read through because this is the plot to kill Paul. But we also need to realize this is specific. You know, this is a plot, specific Jews, a little over 40 commit to doing this to Paul, but this is also something that we ought to recognize as the enemy's plot. Not just these men, but this is the enemy's plot. Verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Verse 12, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. And they went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. John 10.10 
says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus speaking, that they may have life and have it abundantly. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In John chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Those are singing words for, I mean, can you imagine that being said of you? You've been very religious, uh, very consistent in your religion, you know, to do those things which you thought were, were good, and yet you're just going through the motions. You have no real relationship with the Lord or else it would be evident in your, in your lives. You, you wouldn't uh, be deaf toward the word of God. It, it, there would be a sanctifying work in your life. The spirit would be evident as it moves. There would be fruit in your life. And yet Jesus was speaking to a people who were in synagogue regularly. But he was telling them that God is not your father. God, God is not your God. Your God is Satan. And then he goes on to describe why it is that Satan is their father. Because they're liars and they've been murderers. And so it is the very character of the devil. Not only is Satan a liar and the father of lies and he's a murderer and he's been a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in truth. But we also see how there are those who plot harm to those who belong to God. And they don't care. And desire to, to stop his work. Stop his work. Because they are not of God and they don't hear or listen to his word. Now, if this resembles anyone's actions, anyone's words... If it's to divide, to undermine, to destroy the work of the Lord in church, they are not doing the work of the Lord. People, don't, don't be deceived when someone whispers in your ear and tries to undermine the very work that is happening here. Because if that person is interested in the body, they would participate. They would look to correct whatever it is that perhaps they find wrong, if it is indeed wrong. 
and bolster what God is doing, not stop it and not draw away. So these men were like this. They were after Paul. And they were doing the bidding of their father or their master, Satan. People can say what they want to say. But God's word tells us that anyone who lies and plots evil or wishes harm on someone else is doing the work of the devil. Period. These men conspired to kill Paul and knowing that the religious leaders wanted to stop Paul also. They went to the chief priests, the elders, uh, seeking their help and, and the help of the council. So the chief priests, the elders, hey, you guys have some influence with the Sanhedrin, which, by the way, you could say is, was the Jewish Supreme Court. And all together, all of them working together would work to get this assassination accomplished. That's wicked. So everyone's working together to kill one man. It's a satanic work to stop Jesus and his work. Remember, this is nothing new. Herod attempted to kill Jesus as soon as he was born. Doing the work of Satan. And there are many Herods that have come and are here, even today, trying to stop the work of the Lord. But remember, God is sovereign. And God delivers where he pleases and as he pleases. That's why I have such confidence in him. Oh, the things that have been endured and the things that we have worked through. And yet here we are. Now, their plan was to tell the tribune that they wanted to interview Paul again. They just, you know, wanted to get to the bottom of it. So uh, chief priests, the elders go convince the Sanhedrin to call in the tribune to ask him for Paul so that they could interview him a little bit more to really get to the bottom uh, of, of the, the matter, you know, and had really make an accurate determination as to uh, what's at hand and conclude with whatever it is that they were going to do. And maybe in this way they can move Paul from the security of the barracks under Roman guard, Roman protection, and uh, it's at that point that the Jews would kill Paul. But God intervenes. God intervenes. Verse 16 says, Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and, going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them. For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one, that you have informed me of these things. God infiltrates. God infiltrates uh, 
the enemy the enemy and the enemy's plot is exposed it just so happens it just so happens that Paul's nephew hears of this plot to kill Paul and then he's able to go and tell Paul and this gives Paul an opportunity a chance to call on the centurion that was guarding him and then asks him to take his nephew and go to the tribune because he has something to tell him. It gives him an opportunity. This is all to expose the plot to kill the Apostle Paul. Paul was under protective custody because the Romans did not know exactly why or what the Jews were accusing him of. Remember, it was confusing. There was chaos. There was a mob. People were shouting. Some people didn't even know why they were there. Remember that? Like, why are you here? If they were interviewed, you know, why are you here? They'd probably say something just nonsense. I really, I have no idea. I just see the excitement. All of this. And so the Romans were confused. Why is it that they wanted to kill Paul? They, they didn't know exactly why. So they put him in protective custody. And at some point they would get to the bottom of it. They were hoping to have everything clarified. But for them, up to this point, there was nothing that he was being accused of that was deserving of death. Up to this point. And so the Romans being in power at the time, they were the ones that were to decide what to do with Paul. There was law and order back then. There was law and order that the Romans would uphold. And no corrupt group of people would be allowed to take matters into their own hands. The Romans were not going to allow that to happen. But yet God allowed Paul's nephew, in the midst of all of this, to hear the enemy's plot and expose their plans to kill Paul to the tribune. He was sent off. You know, that's, this is what we always hope for, that sin would be exposed. But there would be a, um, a response to that. Uh, repentance. Uh, people doing the right thing. Numbers 32, 23 says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Uh, you can use this with your kids, by the way. It does well, because our kids know that to be true. My, my son knows. Our other boys know too. Like, no, don't pray that, Dad. Mom, you know, but, uh, but it does. It just, things come out. Numbers 32, 23 is true. At some point, it does come out. Because Hebrews 4, 13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight. From whose sight? From God's sight. You may get things, like, you know, you may fool people. You may even fool your parents. But really, you know what, that... That isn't the point, because this is what really matters here. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So each and every one of us are going to be called on the carpet, so to speak, to give an account for everything that involves us. What we think, what we say, what we do. Individually, no one else is going to be able to go in there and speak on our behalf. It's just us. 
Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so we have before us just a picture of how it is that the Lord revealed this. He allowed Paul's nephew to overhear their plot and then come and reveal it to the tribune. And then we have God's plan of delivery. God, again, moves as he wills. Verse 23, as we continue, says, Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor, Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the tribune calls two of his centurions, uh, commanded them to ready an army of men. And this, this was an army of men. You could just imagine uh, exactly 400. You, you count the number of people that we have there, 470, 470 uh, to accompany Paul, to take him to safely to Caesarea. And this was to be done immediately because the plan to kill Paul was for the next day. So the tribune ordered that Paul be transported to Felix the governor in Caesarea at the third hour of the night, which would be precisely 9 p.m. So there's four watches. The first watch is from 6 to 9. The second watch, because you'll see this in the Bible, first, second, third, and fourth watch, First watch, 6 to 9. Second watch, 9 to 12, midnight. Third watch, 12 to 3 in the morning. And fourth watch, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So then you know how to break down the night watches and the times according to the Bible. So the, the tribune ordered, commanded, exactly at 9 p.m. this is what's to be done. So make sure you're ready. All the men, all the horses, all the, 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 the men with spears, with great armor and all that, and that's when he is to be taken to Caesarea, accompanied by you. Not only did the tribune order this secure transport of Paul, but he also ordered an official letter to be written to explain what had taken place up to that point. And he saw nothing to support what they wanted to do. His, the accusations uh, that they made against the apostle Paul, and they wanted him dead. They, he saw no supporting documentation, no witnesses, testimony uh, that would support that desire. And up to this point, we'll see this as we continue to learn of Paul's journey to Rome because no one can substantiate the false accusations against Paul and they will confirm his innocence time after time. You see, he wasn't breaking Roman law. 
and he had done nothing deserving of death. And yet, that is exactly what the Jews were demanding. It wasn't, it wasn't rational. It was irrational. It wasn't something that was a logical conclusion to the accusations because they were empty. Remember, Jesus was without sin, and the Jews were crying out, crucify, crucify. Why? Because they did not believe that he was the Son of God, even though Jesus testified of this truth about himself over and over and over. You know, until he's thrown into the lake of fire, it will always be that Satan works to stop God's work, to deceive, to destroy to inflict anxiety, worry, doubt, fear in God's people specifically, sometimes by our own doing and sometimes by lending our ear to others, to cause division and even plant wolves within the church to kill God's work from within. In Acts chapter 20, verse 26, the Apostle Paul warns the Ephesian leaders. In verse 26, he says, uh, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise, arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Verse 31, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You know, I think about, you know, the last <clears throat> spin years going on 11 right for the church and we've simply gone through the word we just the whole counsel of God over the last 10 years we've, we've covered most of the New Testament and a portion of the Old Testament and I can tell you that I I feel personally I know that that is exactly what the Lord wants to happen here so that you would be prepared. That you would know God's word. That you would have the truth before you to walk in it and bless and glorify him. Because I'm thinking, Paul taught for three years. That is awesome. I can't imagine being under the Apostle Paul, Paul's teaching. Such depth, such wit, such just absolute clarity in, in teaching God's word. But he did that with them for three years. And he poured into them. And he warned them. He instructed them according to God's word. And with God's word. He, he built them up. He strengthened them. He, he gave them all the guidelines, all the things that they ought to follow. To bless and glorify the Lord. And so at that point, he was commending them. He was committing them into the Lord's hands and saying, you know, run and glorify the Lord and do what you've learned to do. 
But he was saying, and so I've warned time and time again, wolves will come in in sheep's clothing, and you will know them by how they speak and the things they do. You will know them. You will be able to identify them. Make sure that you point those things out. As brothers and sisters in Christ, you need to point those things out and confront that. Don't, don't think that someone else is going to do it. Because really, you've received the whole counsel of God. You know what to do. Do it. To him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. It is sin. So, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul warned uh, of these wolves within the church to kill God's work from within. And then we see how these men were plotting, over 40 men were plotting to stop the work of the Lord. How it is that they wanted to stop Paul from advancing anymore, from speaking anymore about Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And so God used Paul's nephew and the Roman tribune to expose the plot of the Jews and move Paul safely to be heard by Felix in Caesarea. Interesting. Isn't this what, what Jesus told Paul would do? He would testify of him before Jews and Gentiles and before kings, those who were in authority. And here he was sent to Felix. Verse 31 says, So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented, presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. So one step closer, Paul is one step closer. God again safely moves Paul. So the 470 men loaded Paul up at 9 p.m. They escorted him that day until they arrived in Antipatris. And the next day, 400 of the soldiers returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and the 70 horsemen continued on to Caesarea, getting him there safely. Now, it's, it's, uh, it's thought, I know that they were ordered to take him all the way to Caesarea. They did take him to Caesarea uh, safely. They got him there. But it's at that point, it's 20, about 25 miles outside of Jerusalem, where the other 400 headed back to Jerusalem. And it's thought it's because the, the area between Jerusalem and Antipatris is, is uh, full of, of Jewish people, the very people who were seeking Paul's life. And from that point on, it's kind of open country. It was uh, safer to travel. And so... They, they believed that he, was, he would be safely taken to Caesarea with just the 70 horsemen and uh, escorted by them, and the rest could go back. And they did, and they got him there safely. So the Roman soldiers delivered Paul, and the letter was given to Felix to read. And upon learning that Paul was indeed a Roman citizen, that was confirmed. He asked from where? He's from Cilicia. Well, Felix realized that it was his responsibility to hear the case. And so he ordered Paul to be secured in the praetorium uh, until he was heard out the following day. Now, something we need to note here is that Paul, at this point, will remain in chains uh, for the duration of his life. 
At this point, he's, he's, a, um, he's an ambassador in chains. He's going to spend, two, get this, two years in Caesarea. And he was, by all means, he was an innocent man. He, had, he hadn't broken Roman law. But he was imprisoned. And he would remain there in Caesarea for two years. And then he'll go on to Rome. He will make it there. And he'll spend another couple years there. Again, imprisoned. Paul was indeed testifying of Jesus to Jews and Gentiles. And kings. Now, we know that Jesus did tell him that he would suffer much for his name's sake. Back in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, he told him, I'm going to send you. You're going to go out to Jews and Gentiles and kings. And you're going to testify of me before them. But you're going to suffer for my name's sake. And so Paul knew this. It wasn't in the midst of his suffering, his persecution, his false accusations that he, that he thought that he deserved anything better. He simply, listen to this, in the midst of all, of all of that, he simply remained faithful to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was it. That was his whole job. That was it. You know that's our job too? Especially in the midst of trials and persecution and suffering and all of that? That we, in the midst of it, declare a hope that we have come to know. Well, Paul is being delivered as God pleases and as he had planned on doing so with Paul. God delivers where he pleases because God will do as he pleases because he is God and there's no one like him. Again, Job 40, Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He is faithful he is able. What we need to decide is whether we are with him or against him. Anytime we don't allow, uh, align ourselves with, with the, the will of God, that is with the word of God, then we're opposing him. It, it's quite simple. It's, we're either in opposition or we're in agreement. We're in opposition or we're in agreement. There's really no gray area whatsoever. It's black and white. Because even Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So will you scatter, or will you come to Jesus and abide in him? You see, Paul was testifying of Jesus because Jesus is the only way. He is the truth and the life. And he is the only way to the Father. There's no other way. Simply through him. Paul was laying everything out, including his very life, so that others may know salvation in Jesus Christ. He was willing to lay it down. What does it mean for us to sacrifice? What does it mean for us to persevere in the Lord? What does it look like? Practically speaking, what does it look like? What should it look like? Do we turn inward when we're going through trials or do we remain fixed on Jesus do we start speaking about ourselves when we're suffering or do we speak of the hope and the strength that we find in Christ that peace that surpasses all understanding that is something that tells of where we are truly in the Lord as we begin this year I pray that we would be faithful 
to God and God alone. That we would focus on Him, cling to Him, trust in Him, walk with Him, abide in Christ, and so be fruitful to His glory. That it would be evident that He is with us and we are with Him. Because God delivers where He pleases. Are we with Him? Here we are. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We thank you that nothing and no one can thwart your plans. Lord, we thank you that no one can snatch us from your hands. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us of our sins and just ask that you would do so. Because we know that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, help us to run to you in times of trouble. You being our refuge and a very present help in time of trouble. Help us to walk with you as with our Savior, as with our Lord, as with our King. Help us, Lord, to Lord, walk in the steps that you've ordained for us to, to step in, Lord, that we would not go to the left or to the right, but that we would be faithful to bless and glorify you by being obedient, demonstrating our love for you. And so, Lord, bless your church. I pray, Lord, that salvation would be known by all, for you desire that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Pray that more would turn, their, turn from their worldly ways and turn to you. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves once more to you. We pray your peace and your hope is with us. And we cry out to the world how good you are. In Jesus' name.